1: And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, October the 14th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. On October 14, 1964, Martin Luther King Jr. was named winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. Today in 1066, the Normans, under William the Conqueror, defeated the English at the Battle of Hastings. Today in 1586, Mary, Queen of Scots, went on trial in England She was accused of committing treason against Queen Elizabeth I. Mary was beheaded in February of 1587. Today in 1933, Nazi Germany announced it was withdrawing from the League of Nations. Today in 1944, German Field Marshal Erwin Rommel, he took his own life. He knew he was about to face a trial and certain execution for allegedly conspiring against Adolf Hitler. Today in 1947, U.S. Air Force Captain Charles Chuck Yeager, he became the first test pilot to break the sound barrier. He flew his experimental Bell XS-1, later it was referred to as X-1. It was a rocket plane. He flew it over Murrock uh, Dry Lake in California. And 10 years ago today, retired Air Force Brigadier General Chuck Yeager, he was 89 years old, he marked the 65th anniversary of that supersonic flight back in 1947 by smashing through the sound barrier again. No, he wasn't driving this time. This time he was in the back seat of an F-15, which took off from Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada. Probably at 89, he probably should have been in the back seat of a 15 I would imagine, but he again smashed through the sound barrier interesting. Today in 2016, a judge in Connecticut dismissed a wrongful death lawsuit by Newtown families against the maker of the rifle that was used in the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting massacre. They cited a federal law that shielded gun manufacturers from most lawsuits over criminal use of their products. It's a new poll out today. More than 90% of Americans. Well actually the poll came out yesterday afternoon, but it's in the news this morning. More than 90% of Americans who conservative news, more than 90% of Americans who read the Bible say its message has transformed their lives. 90%. I don't know what happened to the other 10, but 90%, that's strong. This new research is put out by the American Bible Society. It also revealed that scripture has a positive impact on many people who are non-readers. People told them that told the survey that they don't read the Bible, but it has had a major impact because of the impact it has on other people's lives. A study was released yesterday, as I said, yesterday afternoon. It found that 92% of Bible users, Bible users were for this survey, were defined as those who read Scripture three or four times a year apart from church. They say the message of the Bible has transformed their, their life. It's that powerful. Ultimately, Bible use isn't only about opening a book or an app, the American Bible Society says. It's about interacting with God. And when people connect with God in Scripture, their lives change. Their attitudes change. Their values change. Indeed, it does. I've seen it myself over a lifetime in the ministry. The gospel changes people's lives, and the gospel in changing people's lives will change the culture If we have enough courage to stand up and tell the truth to the public, God's truth. Surprisingly, 38% of non-Bible users, in other words, they don't read the Bible at all, they agree with the statement that, quote, the message of the Bible has transformed my life. They believe in that message, they just don't read the Bible. The the, The research found that 38% equals about 60 million people in the U.S. who say they don't read the Bible, although it has impacted them for positive. Some of these people attend church occasionally. They might receive the transforming message there, the reports. They were a little stumped by that. They couldn't quite figure out when they were writing the summary of the report. These guys that did the, the survey, they couldn't quite figure out why those people felt that it impacted them. I guess they just think it makes life better around them, makes for a better culture or whatever. But in any case, it's a remarkable, remarkable, sizable a, por- a portion of those who aren't reading the Bible much say it transforms their lives. I have advocated all the years I've been on this program now and for years as in the ministry – That if we will just share the word of God, just unvarnished, in love, but just share the word of God, put it out there into the hearts and the minds of people and into the culture, it really will make a difference. Number one, it will save people, and they'll go to heaven instead of hell. But it will also save a culture, at least slow down the decay and the destruction. It's remarkable that such a sizable portion of those people in America, about 60 million people, say they don't read the Bible, but it certainly has impacted them. That's amazing. That's how powerful the Word of God is. The report also asked Bible users about their methods for reading Scripture. I found this interesting. There's a lot more, but I just wanted to touch on a couple of points. This one, about 48% said they read a few verses at a time, This was followed by reading passages based on my mood. In other words, I look for Scripture to speak to however I'm feeling at the moment, 40%, and reading full chapters or stories, 32% of people, and using a schedule, a plan or a program, like read through the Bible for a year or whatever, about 26% of people do that, and reading at the same time each day, 22%, said they read every day at you know, 10 a.m. or whatever. And so they have kind of a schedule of Bible reading. Very interesting. I found that encouraging, actually, because people were acknowledging in this uh, survey that, that, you know, hey, man, I don't read the Bible, but, boy, yeah, I believe it's had a, neg- a a positive impact on me and uh, my life. So, again, that's how powerful the Word of God is. Heaven and earth is going to pass away, the Bible says, but God's Word, my Word, shall not pass away. It's eternal. It is the one thing that we can hold to in this life. We can stand on it is the solid rock upon which we can build our house, our lives, our future. Eternity. God does not change. His word does not change, nor does it fail. It never fails. Gallup also put out a poll today. It's not about the Bible, but it's about what's going on in the culture, the upcoming election. Gallup said in this survey that's out this morning, they said with the midterm elections less than a month away, large majorities of American Americans favor three ma- measures meant to make voting easier. Early voting, 78% are in favor of that. I'm not. I wouldn't be part of that seventy. I think we should have an election day. I think there should be exceptions. I mean, this is just me. I and you know a lot of people obviously seventy eight percent of people disagree with me, but <clears throat> i i I think there should be an election day. there's a whole lot of reasons for that and I, I'm not going to get into that today, but I just do but seventy eight percent of Americans say that early voting uh, in other words is long drawn out so-called election day i I just i it, it is it is wrought with problems, none the least of which is the devious work of people who are illegally trying to influence the elections. I believe there is there is corruption in our election system, and that saddens me. I take no joy in that, and it's not about Trump. It's just about what we have learned, what I have seen, and what I have read, and what I am convinced actually did happen. I've seen the pictures. I've seen the words of the people who took the pictures of the people doing it. I do believe there was corruption in the last election. And this is not in defense of Trump. It's in defense of democracy, and it's in, in defense of what our, what makes our country great, the ability for the people to speak and know that their vote is counted, that it's not misused, and there are not thousands, if not millions, of exteneratious uh, uh, votes interjected into the system that ought not to be there. That includes dead people, but it includes a lot of others as well. So I don't think this extended voting season, like, you know, from from July to December, or I'm overstating, but I don't think that's a good idea, personally. But anyway, 78% favor that. 65%, according to Gallup, think that automatic voter registration is good. We should do that. And 60% think we should be sending absentee ballots, in other words, sending the ballots to All eligible voters. I think that is another major, major problem with those who are bringing mischief on our voting. Majorities of America, Gallup said, also opposed two measures that could make voting harder. Removing inactive voters from voter lists, 60%, and limiting the number of drop boxes for absentee ballots, 59%. One restrictive policy I noticed in this Gallup survey, it's pretty lengthy, Uh, this one restrictive policy was that most Americans, 79%, are on board with requiring photo identification to vote. It is the Democrat activists, the far left, that don't want that, and they always say that they're trying to, the people who want that, I certainly do, I'm part of that group, But the people that want voter ID, they always say they're trying to suppress the vote. They're not trying to suppress the vote. They're trying to suppress the the criminal activities around the, the vote that's trying to sway an election. And, I mean, we use a driver's license with a picture. We have all this stuff. I mean, everything has some kind of personal identification. Why is voting that much different? I mean... I don't get it. I mean, I do get it, and it's really not about. It's not about voting integrity. It's about voting mischief, and they don't want that inserted into the system and required. So they always refer to it as suppressing the vote, and it's discriminatory against blacks and and uh, Hispanics and so on. The Hispanics are coming downtown. They say, no, it isn't. It's not at all. We we want that. And a lot of blacks are saying that as well. So um, I'm not surprised at the number, but I wish somebody would pay attention to that, and maybe we could do that. But you would have to go to a polling place to and uh, vote, not mail in your ballot. That is, I think, very vulnerable. So anyway, that's what Gallup is talking about this morning. We do live in troubled times. There's no question about that. More so, perhaps, than any generation in recent history. But the psalmist wrote, Psalm 135, verse 6 and 7, Whatsoever the the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. He causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. He bringeth the wind out of the treasuries. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8 says, And the Lord... He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee, he will not fail thee, neither forsake thee, fear not, neither be dismayed. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a thread that runs through those verses, certainly a thread of encouragement, but there's also a thread that runs through those verses that says God is in control. He's in control of everything all the time. We can find peace and rest in that because we can trust God with all of our hearts for now and for eternity. He is a good God. That's why we worship him, we follow him, and we invoke His word into our lives every day. The New York Times finally, finally, kind of told the truth in an article the other day, and I've got to talk about it for a few minutes this morning. I talk a lot about the media because the media is so un- they're just untrustworthy. I mean, they just are. They 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 don't write news stories anymore. They write everything is really an opinion that's called news. I mean, they have their opinion section, but the media is so compromised, it's so twisted, that you just can't read an honest news story anymore. I mean, really, you can't. So you have to read on, and kind of be on high alert and looking for what, what are they really saying, You know, and they're, and they're manipulating the public, really. I mean, that is what the news media has devolved to become, is just a, another oracle out there for leftist policies so-called progressive policies. Anyway, the New York Times, they wrote an article yesterday. Biden, they say, is a storyteller. Biden is the storyteller-in-chief. Well, that caught my attention, of course. They finally found the courage to tell the truth about President Biden's obsession with not telling the truth. Their headline reads, Biden, storyteller-in-chief, spins yarns that often Unravel." The New York Times says President Biden has been unable to break himself from the habit of embellishing narratives to weave a political identity. Rather than use the L word, lie, they describe the non-truth non telling of Joe, President Joe Biden like this. President Biden has embraced storytelling as a way of connecting with his audience, but his folksiness can veer into a personal folklore Why don't they just say he tells a lot of lies? Having been in the tank with President Biden from the beginning, why would the old, the gray lady, once referred to as, why would they now report something the world already knows all too well? That was my takeaway when I began to read this story. I thought, why are they doing this? I'll come back to that in a moment. The New York Times stories begins with this. Standing in front of Floridians who had lost everything during Hurricane Ian, that was just a few days ago when he was down there, President Biden on Wednesday called his own house, recalled his own house being nearly destroyed 15 years ago. He said, We didn't lose our whole home, but lightning struck and we lost an awfully lot. Mr. Biden has mentioned that incident before. He once told the story that I have record of that he knows what it's like having had a house burned down with my wife in it well in fact news reports at the time called it little more than a small fire that was contained in the kitchen it didn't almost burn the house down and probably his wife was there i don't know which wife but a wife he quoted the local uh, the the article in the newspaper at the time i went back and read it he quoted the they quoted their local delaware fire chief He said the fire was under control in less than 20 minutes. This story is not an isolated example of embellishment. This man, our president, has a life of not telling the truth. He really does. The Times reminds the reader, quote, New York Times, the exaggerated biography that Mr. Biden tells includes having been a fierce civil rights activist who was repeatedly arrested. He's claimed to have been an award-winning student with uh, who earned three degrees. <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and last week, speaking on the hurricane-devastated island of Puerto Rico, he said he had been raised in a Puerto Rican community at home politically. None of this is true. It just isn't true. To further make their point, President Biden has a problem with telling the truth the New York Times says, quote, for more than four decades, Mr. Biden has embraced storytelling as a way of connecting with his audience, often emphasizing the truth of his account by adding, not a joke. And if you listen to him at all, and I do, painfully so, but I do, he says that all the time. He'll start off telling a story and he'll say, Not a joke. But he always says that in the middle of the story. But the New York Times says, But Mr. Biden's folksiness can veer into folklore with dates that don't quite add up and Details that are exaggerated or just plain wrong. The factual edges shaved off to make them more powerful for audiences. Okay, so now the public knows that President Biden has a discernment issue with the truth. He spins yarns. But they don't say he lies. They just say he spins the truth, and it unravels sometimes. So if you think Biden lies... The New York Times suddenly pivots. Let us tell you about the previous president. Okay, so that's maybe why they wrote this article. Here's what they say next. Mr. Biden's instances of exaggeration and falsehood fall far well short of those of his predecessor, who during four years in office delivered uh, what the Washington Post fact-checker called a tsunami of untruths. CNN described it as a staggering avalanche of daily wrongness. Former President Donald J. Trump lied constantly. Oh, they used the word lied. They didn't use the word lied with Biden, but they do with Trump. Trump lied constantly, not only about trivial details, like insisting it hadn't rained during his inauguration when it clearly had, but also about consequential moments, misleading about the pandemic, perpetrating the big lie. That Mr. Biden stole the 2020 election and claiming falsely that the Capitol was not attacked by his supporters on January 6, 2021. If the New York Times had stopped here, I would, you would think, well, it maybe just maybe they had a near epiphany and they turned a page and now they're going to begin telling the truth as they see it in their reporting. But no, they. After they they ding Trump and said, yeah, you think Biden is a liar? You should look at Donald Trump. Here's why he's way worse than Biden. But then they pivoted back again. They took a second round of exposing Biden's mistelling of stories. Never used the word lie in relationship to Joe Biden. Used it repeatedly in what they said about Donald Trump. So the New York Times continued. They said Mr. Biden's fictions are nowhere near that scale. But they are emblematic of how the president, over nearly five decades in public life, has been unable to break himself of the habit of spinning embellished narratives, <clears throat> Excuse me. sometimes only loosely based on the facts, to weave together his political identity. And they provide political ammunition for the Republicans eager to tar him as too feeble to run for re-election in two years hmm that's interesting then The Times gave the reader a, an historical perspective they said his stories have been repeatedly and publicly challenged well they have everybody that pays attention knows what he's been saying he's been telling lies most of his life I mean honestly he has long before he was president, His stories have been repeatedly and publicly challenged as far back as 1987 during his campaign for president, when his attempts to adopt someone else's life story as his own and false claims about his academic record forced him to withdraw. Well, they don't use the word plagiarism either, but that's what he was accused of. Even the news accused him of plagiarism. He just took another guy's book and made it kind of his own story and got caught. So Trump's lies are bigger than Biden's lies, according to the New York Times. Maybe the Times wants to be on record for having reported the dishonesty problem before the 2024 presidential election campaign gets underway. So if someone brings it up, they can say, oh, that's old news. They could even say that's misinformation. We've already covered that. That's been in the news. Now let's talk about something else. The the news does that all the time. They'll report on a story so that it's out there, it's on the record, and they'll report very weekly as they do on Biden's telling lies, really. Uh, It's yarn unraveling and blah, blah, blah that I just shared with you. So they will go on record and get it on record. Then down the road, somebody will come out and say, why isn't the news media covering the fact that Biden has had a, Problem lying his whole life. Oh, we have. On October the fourteenth, twenty twenty-two, we said, <clears throat> blah blah blah, whatever they said here. So that's one of the reasons that sometimes newspapers, particularly, but TV does the same thing. News. That's why they'll report on something that they don't want to report on. They're not. They don't support it. It's not part of their agenda, but it's to get it on the record so that they can say, no, we're we're fair and balanced. We're honest. And it happens all the time. You just you don't notice it, but it has a collective effect on on the culture when they do this. Many of the readers, though, they were all over this. And they wrote endless articles about it yesterday. The National Review, a senior writer there, Charles Cook, he, he blasted the article in a very short uh, response to it. He said, check out these euphemisms, yarns that often unravel, Unable to break himself of the habit of embellishing narratives to weave a political identity. Folksiness can veer into folklore. The factual edges shaved off, Cook wrote. He said, so lying then, notably, the Times does not shy away from using the word accurately, of course, to describe Biden's predecessor. (laughs) My my point exactly. Let me tell you what I think is really going on here. And this comes to bear on all of us as we look toward Certainly, the upcoming midterm election, but the 2024 election is just around the corner, and it's going to fire up, and you're going to start hearing it, boy, it, right after the midterm. Here's what I think. I personally think, <clears throat> excuse me. I personally think there are some other agendas at work in this story. Remember, President Biden has been a little above 50% disapproval rate for the last 13 months, according to all of the polls, or almost all of the polls. It appears the Republicans will take back the majority in the House of Representatives in the coming election. I mean, all the polls indicate they will. They could also take control of the Senate if a couple of seats fall just right for the GOP. I think the politicians behind the scenes have come to believe that Biden may, in fact, try to run for a second term. When he first said, I'm going to run for a second term, nobody really believed him. I mean, the newspapers published it, but even they were going, nah, I don't know about that. But I think people are beginning now to believe he's serious, that he plans to run for a second term. And I think they're beginning to take action. And I think that's what this story was about. They want to be sure that he does not One of the writers of the New York Times story is Linda, Linda Chu. She has not written a negative article, if this can be considered negative, about President Biden since August of 2021. That's 14 months. All of a sudden, she and another writer comes out with this story. With the looming possibility of Republicans taking back Congress, Biden's perpetual low approval ratings, the country upside down, coupled with rising inflation and a shrinking economy, this could be the beginning of a campaign by the left to send him a message that one term is enough, Joe. Don't. Run again. Bow out gracefully now or not so gracefully later. I would remind you be sure to pray for our country. Be sure to vote. And remember this For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. Psalm 22 28. That's the word of the Lord. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor. Among the nations. Again, if I may repeat, God is in control. Hey, thank you for your support of this ministry. It is um, a ministry. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't feel it was. And so many of you agree. And I want to thank all of you who do support us. We need, if you're listening and maybe not supporting it, but kind of feel like you'd like to, please do. Box 399, Bellevue 98009.